everything you need to know about commercial aviation. This is Layovers. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pabadivitriou. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and eight minutes. And we should arrive in time. Coming up on this flight, want to look like a fool in airports, play Pokemon Go, or ride a motorized carry-on. Asia on top, the US way behind is Skytrack's world's best airline and world's best airports awards tell no surprise. It's finally over for the US-4 against the ME-3. Alex eats like a king and sleeps like a baby in his premium journey to Shanghai with Cathay Pacific and Cathay Dragon. I tested the sole European short-haul lifeline seat in the XBMI A321. And I fly a brand new 777-300ER for 20 minutes. Drones will offer faster turnarounds for Airbus aircrafts and last-mile deliveries for Amazon UK. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast signal sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 44 to Shanghai. Shanghai. I feel like I'm qualified to talk about this. I was just there. Yeah, you were just there. We closed the last episode. You were telling us about your travels. But first, the few things that everybody keeps talking about. The first thing, and I don't know if you downloaded the app, are you playing Pokemon Go? No, I'm not. And, and, <laughs> I, and I, I don't, I'm not judging anybody that does. I just, I'm worried that it's so good and so compelling that as soon as I do, it's, I'm just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same thing here. Exactly the same thing. I'm resisting the download. The funny thing is, uh, you must have seen guys in you, Alex, the news about people flocking in streets and rushing to catch yeah, these and like nearly elusives. falling off piers. There's been even like a Shinagawa Station. It's a station in Tokyo. They actually have on the PA system. They're telling people. Watch out when you're walking because people apparently are bumping into each other. I saw other that. I saw that by our friend Joseph Tame posted Joseph, exactly. on, uh, on Twitter that they have these audio warnings. It's just hilarious. The funny bit is to, for airlines is that uh, Alaska, the airline you love because it just bought Virgin <laughs> America, is actually, is actually warning its passengers to not use Pokemon Go at airports because apparently what has happened is that not only people use stupid things and you know walk into walls and stuff, but apparently people would go as far as reaching into non-authorized areas to catch a Pokemon Go. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, there is that kind of... People are compelled to get these things to the point where they're going to put themselves in danger or do something borderline illegal. Like That's the power of the Pokemon, apparently. I read... I don't remember which country. It might have been Malaysia, but I might be wrong. Where there was someone actually stepped into a military section just to catch. <laughs> anyway, that's a great way to get shot. And apparently, a friend of mine told me that you can, if you do have Wi-Fi on air, there are sometimes Pokemon's whilst you're flying. So, oh, I bet guys, there are. <laughs> at least I would keep some people very busy and not chatty if they're just looking at our screens <laughs> for the whole flight. Uh, another thing that I think pretty much our entire audience of layovers has been sending me in the past three weeks, uh, it's that new, uh, It's I mean, it's not even a smart carry-on. It's a city carry-on that is motorized, so you can actually go on your carry-on and it becomes like a vehicle and you can drive through airports. I totally see you doing that, Alex. Yeah, I, I mean, I think everybody that knows <laughs> me could picture me doing it. Um, no. uh, come on. So I, th this has been interesting, actually, because you, you, everybody that listens to this knows my stance on smart luggage. Um, first of all, these things are stupid. But, um, but more importantly, it's prompted some really interesting debate. I think somebody in the Runway Girl Network who does phenomenal job of really keeping at the cutting edge of our industry was like, there's real problems with these batteries because these are not the small mm -hmm. batteries that that other company did such a good job of, of replying to me about. To drive a motor that will carry a human being, they're not small and they're the same types of batteries that are used in uh, those hoverboard things that all the airlines right. have banned. So, I mean, it's a great way to tell everybody how much of a douchebag you are, but, it, <laughs> I, I, you know, setting that bit aside and, you know, each to their own, I'm still not 100% sure. They, they say that their batteries are individually tested by the FAA and IATA, but I don't know if that means that um, the elect electronics people will be able to 
correct me here, but when you have batteries in parallel creating a much larger output to drive something like an, a motor, that's where the problems come in. And also, you never know, as we said many times in the past, what will be the reaction of the guys in security? Yeah. You know, uh, and at the end of the day, as well, if there are so many batteries, how much space do you actually get to put your stuff in your luggage? Well, that's another know. great point. That's a, and how much do they, I mean, they weigh, they weigh quite a lot. And I, and I guarantee you, it's going to be like the Segway. And one airport is going to go, these are dangerous, you can't have them. And then all of the other airports are going to follow suit. Good luck to them because it's an Indiegogo campaign. Uh, we're going to follow up. And guys, if you're listening, if you're one of the founders of this yeah, company. Allay our fears. Yeah, please come come on the show and tell us we're both douche for not accepting the future, maybe. Uh, another funny story uh, that our friend Elizabeth, she's a listener of the show, she's based in uh, D.C., uh, she sent me that uh, there's been uh, an engagement session, so a photo session. You know, some people, when they get engaged, they do a photo session of the engagement ceremony. And they did that inside the airport at Reagan Nationals. That's pretty cool. These I've never are seen that, actually. stunning pictures. Stunning yeah. pictures. I mean, it's, it's wonderful, and congratulations to these guys. Uh, but the photography focuses just as much on the architecture of Reagan as it does of the, of the happy couple. And some of the pictures are just breathtaking yeah. i was in the art i mean the art let's be fair the architecture is breathtaking but the photography is is as well it's lovely it's a nice nice story yeah one of the dreams if, if two people are av geeks and are uh, yeah. in love i mean this is the perfect setting yeah so, i proposed to my wife at terminal four in heathrow four terminal four yeah she's about <laughs> to get an airplane and i asked her to marry me and we have um for christmas one year i got her the sign from the front of the london underground train that said london terminal four when they went from analog yeah. to digital, they yeah. sold them. And I got that one and I had it framed and everything like that. So, yeah, awesome. I, I can relate to this story. Congratulations to these guys and to the photographer as well. The other story that a lot of people have been talking about is that Lufthansa is now selling seats on Airbnb. So that was fun because a lot of people say, oh, Lufthansa is selling rooms on Airbnb. So first of all, no. What they do is clever marketing campaign, clever. you can say, when they are putting some inventory of premium economy seats, because that's our new product, on Airbnb, and you can basically buy a seat. They say it's a room, but of course, it's all quirky marketing talk uh, on Airbnb. Uh, why not? That's a great idea. Yeah, it's a great idea to partner with a brand like Airbnb. It's such a, got such a great reach of travelers. But the funny thing is, when you sent me this, my reaction was really neat story. But and there's a they have a picture they use in the article is of a Lufthansa seven four eight, and I just replied back to you and said, "Good God, that's a beautiful airplane. <laughs> it really <laughs> is because that that extended upper deck just gives it gives it even more kind of." nobility and 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 <laughs> pro oh, it's just such a beautiful airplane and obviously alex has been booking all the airbnb seats uh, since then so now we said uh, last episode we were recording in farnborough was just getting us yeah go to a, for the industry a first uh it was not announced at farnborough but i still think it's interesting and linked to a lot of stories we put in the past five episodes talking about iran yeah. everybody is looking at iran we said of course we talked about boeing we talked about Airbus, we talked about Embraer, but even Mitsubishi, which is not very well known in our in our part of the world, Mitsubishi Regional Jet, they have been going to Iran trying to sell their jets as well. They might get orders as well, which is a good news for them. It is. It's very exciting. And I think they had a, a, a season of bad news, if you will, Mitsubishi with this plane. It, it had some, some problems when they were trying to go through their proving season. And this is good news that the Iran Air is looking at maybe purchasing 80 of these Mm -hmm. of these planes for their for their regional operations. Of course, Embraer and Bombardier are also yeah. trying to get in on this deal as well. But it really feels like Iran is kind of doing the United Nations of, uh, of airplanes <laughs> and just going around the world saying, okay, you, you know, what do you got? Yeah, but it's one of the last countries which is basically untouched by the airline industry. I mean, all these guys are vying for a piece of the market. I mean, maybe the next one will be what North Korea. One well, day yeah, I mean, I it's, it's but it's that it's that. I mean, I guess for the for the manufacturers, it's that beautiful position of completely untapped market, but with deep pockets. And also, if you look at the success of the other Middle Eastern carriers, they have a very similar geographical situation. Maybe one day Iran Air could actually go and say, oh, we're going to do also a hub-and-spoke strategy as the other guys have been doing, and then it becomes a huge airline. We'll see. Uh, we said uh, that Embraer E2 series has not found any buyer in Europe. So whilst technically not a buyer in Europe, it's Central Asia, Aristana, which I flew last year in November, 
are interested in, ge in getting one of these E2s, so that yeah. would be a good way to try them if you are in Europe. Although I'm sure the E2 will end up having some. I, I, I do too. I, I, I think it's such a great idea, such a great company. I think the only reason why it's not selling is because the E1X series are still performing so damn well. And it's not that old. The whole no, series exactly. is yeah, not The orders old. are quite recent, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, you're right. I think it's just a matter of time before we see those popping up all over the place. So, uh, so for people who don't know, Farnborough is, is one of the largest air shows uh, in the world. It's one, of course, that happens in the UK. It's with the Bourget, one of the two biggest in Europe. There's always like a battle of words about who is going to be selling the most aircrafts. I mean, the definition of selling is always a bit up in the air because yeah. all those firm orders or just promises, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, it looks like for the second year of a row, Airbus did sell shitloads of planes while Boeing did not. Of course, again, we are in Europe, so probably that is a bit of the reason why. But I mean, of course, a lot of people at Airbus were gloating about that. The, what is interesting is not a lot of white bodies were sold. It's mostly narrow bodies yeah. aircraft. Uh, which shows as well like a bit a bit of the future of the industry right now. You know, single ale aircrafts are very popular. Boeing thinks white bodies will be big, and Airbus thinks you know white bodies are okay, but you know we should focus more on narrow bodies. Basically, I'm 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 simplifying the argument. It's interesting, isn't it? I think that you know with the continuing waning demand for the A380, and so Etihad came out and said, yeah, we're done, we're done with the A380. We're not going to be ordering anymore, and we don't expect the. A380neo to happen, and even yeah, if it did, correct. we don't want it. But it's really interesting. I mean, it would be so, so interesting if Boeing kind of went, yeah, the the, the wide body, the 777X, which is proving to be incredibly popular, um, becomes the kind of wide body default airframe, and then Airbus do the the narrow body, and the market sort of just falls like that. I don't think it will. I don't think. No. I don't think. I don't think Boeing is going to abandon the seven thirty seven anytime soon. But yeah. I think it no. says a lot that Norwegian have moved are moving their from the seven thirty sevens to A three twenties. A lot of aircrafts are being sold to lessers, and then the lesser actually leases them back to airlines. And this time, interestingly, at Farnborough, there were not a lot of lessers buying aircraft. We kind of shows like a bit of hesitation, maybe about the future of market, or maybe also simply overcapacity. They've actually bought too much, and now they say, let's put a little bit less gas on the pedal. The good thing about that would be that, of course, since the aircraft manufacturers still want to sell, of course, tons of aircrafts, the deals for the airlines will be better. So suddenly you'll have more discounts you know, the market, we know it's going to grow, especially in Asia, but people are still a bit wary about economics of it all. So that's why we're seeing this type of articles popping up. These are uh, from The Motley Fool, by the way, fool.com. If you want any good analysis and economics, they're always not specifically on airlines, but they're always kind of good articles about yeah, that. No, absolutely. There was another one actually talking, uh, still in the fool.com, saying that, is Embraer the real winner of Farnborough? Yeah, they did well this year. Uh, they're always quiet. We, we never really talk about them in... As a f the focus, it's always, oh, and there's also Embraer. But they had a really good, you know, they call themselves the third place. Um, they had 101 jet deliveries last last year. That's $3.3 billion last year. That's that's not too mm -hmm. bad. And they, they, they didn't sell a lot, but they, you know, compared to the other, the big boys, if you will, they were right up there. They're becoming an interesting alternative for uh, large airlines for the regional market, really. Uh, instead of going for 320s and 737s, you know, to also like, you know, not put all your eggs in the same basket. So I think we'll see more and more Embraers. They seem to be on a roll right now. I think now. so too. And they're the most mature of that market, aren't they? Because Bombardier is still, you know, the C-Series is brand new and Mitsubishi still haven't got a, you know, plane properly uh, through its testing phase yet. So they're almost two decades ahead of the competition for that market. So yeah, I think you're right. I think we're going to see a lot more of them. And I, and here, here, I love, that's a great airplane. The other thing that always happen after air shows like these are like always great videos. Videos. And again, this year we had great videos. I've been to Farnborough, you've been as well. Uh, so Farnborough's runway is not that big. And mm -hmm. of course, they have some uh, limitations and restrictions on what they can do uh, because there's a lot of aircrafts on display. They do fly. There's been the 350, the 787-9 and the 737 MAX. They've all taken off pretty much vertically. This yeah. is always awesome to see. <laughs> yeah, it was when I, I, I saw a picture of this stunt, it was a 737 MAX and the perspective, I was like, yeah, they just kind of tweaked the perspective and it's um, whatever. And then I watched the video taken by from someone's phone and you're like, oh, and you could hear yeah. everybody around them <laughs> gasping, going, oh, my God. And this, the, 
anybody in that plane would have been weightless for you know a while there. It's pretty pretty <laughs> spectacular footage. Yes, yeah, so I'll put some of the videos on the show notes. The video from uh, Boeing, the official video from the, that takeoff from the 7087-9, I think it's fitted with AA Ney inside, although it's empty, <laughs> obviously. I think because I recognize it, it's really, really cool. And a uh, small article, I encourage you to read, guys, if you're interested in what is the experience of Farnborough. There's, for once, that CNN goes full airline geek. There's an article about all the geeky stuff the journalist was able to do at Farnborough. And you'll see why it's fun to go there. So we'll try to go next year. We yeah. always say that and always miss it. And I, um, um, yeah, Flight Radar 24 have been doing great live coverage of Oshkosh and mm-hmm. all True. of the uh, all of the air venture stuff that's going on in the U.S. as well. So if you don't follow them on Twitter, they're doing it on Periscope. So it's 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 worth watching. Now you know the news that keeps. Uh, making our hearts go boom and then making our hearts go bust. We never know what the hell we're supposed to believe. One time we have hopes, one time we don't have any hope. And this time there were three articles this past week that says the 747 might die. Uh, Boeing is thinking about basically shutting the entire line down after they they finish the orders. Damn it. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this for almost two years now, but someone comes along and they, they do an order. It's when you fly around, especially in Asia, but when you fly around, you do see a lot of the cargo versions of them tooling around yeah. the skies. Uh, the passenger passenger version, no. version, not so much. It's it's rare. It's rare. It's rare, and it's not selling. I mean, we all the news we've been talking about. Oh, somebody saved a seven four seven was always the seven four seven eight F, the freighter version. So the Russians and some other lessers did buy them, but of course, sadly, no one buys. I think Korean Air has an I, uh, Lufthansa, of course, or China, yeah. and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, or Air Force One. I mean, you could have Air Force One as well if uh, if you ever become president, Alex, because <laughs> you have the American passport. I cannot do that. You uh, just invite yeah. me. And you have to be born in the U.S. too. And I was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also uh, Boeing announced its results, and they have been doing, uh, you know, they have a cost of $2.1 billion, which is uh, off for the 787. You know, the 787, especially at the beginning, had a lot of problems, so they had a lot of cost there. But they also had a big cost of a refuel army tanker that they were never able to finish. Yeah. And, the, and the 747 program is also uh, waiting down on their bottom line, which is probably one of the reasons they're thinking, should we not just cut it down? I'm talking to Seal about, because you just flew, uh, Cathay will get there in a minute, but uh, Cathay is saying farewell to their own 747. They are. They're, they're doing this special retirement flight on the 8th of October, which I think is just around Hong Kong, but just to, to say goodbye to an airplane that has been really the backbone of its long-haul fleet for, for them for 37 years. I, I mean, I remember as a kid flying on the Cathay 747s from London to Hong Kong and stopping in Bahrain for fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, I appreciate that Cathay are giving it the retirement send-off. and send-off yeah. that it deserves. It's, a lot of them are doing that. Philippines Airlines has done it. Air France has done it. A lot of the airlines yeah. are doing that. It's I think really it shows nice how important this airplane is. So you've been traveling a bit, like you said. So we'll go to Cathay in a bit. First, you flew uh, with KLM to Amsterdam, right? Yeah, I did BA to Amsterdam, KLM back. Um, How was that? Great, fine. I mean, Schiphol, what an air, it's, it, that's a great airport. I mean, to have basically the equivalent of Charing Cross or Waterloo Station underneath the airport so you can get anywhere into, to, well, not even just, not even Amsterdam, not even the Netherlands, but most of the region just jumping yeah, Europe, on a train yeah. is so good. And they've got, they've got now on top of this very, very generous public viewing deck you don't have to yeah, be the rooftop yeah you don't have to have be a ticket holder it's it's landside they've taken an old klm fokker and they've just plopped it on top of this viewing deck and you can go and crawl around in it it's great um klm we're fine klm we're fine you hadn't flown them before maybe i don't for a long think time. so um i couldn't tell you last time i flew klm but it was a 737-900 on the whatever 40 minute flight from amsterdam to to heathrow and it was great but i'll tell you it was the first time because we were connecting directly to our flight to hong kong it was the first time where i've done the inter-terminal airside transfer mm-hmm. at heathrow so we landed at terminal four and our flight was out of out of terminal three and Terminal 4, especially airside, is going through quite a big renovation. Correct. So you you get off the plane, you go through security again, and then they put you on a bus, which stays airside, and then dumps you out 
um, in Terminal 3. And if you guys know Terminal 3 well, it's basically op- you come out of this door opposite the big duty-free concourse. And you're there. It's great. So that was that was a first for me, which was kind of cool. And, of course, you're basically driving along the tarmac underneath all these A380s. Nice. Yeah, it was so I mean, For an AV geek, yeah, you can, couldn't beat it. And so how was Cafe? Though? Yeah, I mean... It was ah. it was fantastic. So we we flew out to Hong Kong and then on to Shanghai to film uh, to film attaché and a soon to be revealed secondary project. And I hadn't flown I haven't flown in business class on Cathay in a very long time, maybe six years, five and a half years. And holy cow, is it impressive! And it was Greg who films attaché with me. He'd never been in business class in his life. Oh yeah, you sent me the picture. Yeah, yeah and, of course. And of course, you know when you're when you're to to do it the first time, you got to do it right. And he was in. Kathy had this little tiny business class cabin with just two rows of seats, and then mm-hmm. there's one with maybe twelve yeah. or fifteen rows of yeah, seats. Yeah, there's galley and then the big one. Yeah, yeah and yeah. he was in the two little tiny one. I was like, man, ah, you, and so yeah. I have this picture of Greg just grinning like an idiot, um, and justifiably so. The product is. Is very very good. the 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 seat is fine. It's a reverse herringbone, or no, it's not really. It's kind of the. It's hard to describe, but it's a very very comfortable seat. Loads of storage space, um, big screen. But it's where cafe uh, just get it so right is the food, mm-hmm. and the service. You put a picture of food as actually on your I think Instagram or something. Yeah, it was pretty. It was elevating. Yeah, it was a lobster starter, and I was like, this this is better than I've had in restaurants. And it was good. And so the flight was, yeah, it was phenomenal. IFE is excellent. And of course, you've got the beautiful camera you can look out. So the flight to Hong Kong just seemed to fly by. And then quick, very quick layover, like an hour and a half in Hong Kong and on to a A330, Cathay A330 for the two hours to Shanghai. And what was interesting was we were in business class for that as well. Exact same seat for the regional business class. Oh. Yeah. You, You mean life flat? Uh, yeah, completely lie flat, like exactly the same seat. I mean, to the un- to my untrained eye, having not flown it enough to be able to compare, but it was pretty much the identical seat. And I, was, I started thinking about it. And then the, if you think the A330, their A330s will go as far as Australia, and that's not mm-hmm. a short flight. So it makes sense to have a product like that. But it was, again, even for a two-hour flight, it was phenomenal. It was so, so good. They really are top drawer. Was it the same on the way back? On the way back, I flew Cathay Dragon. Okay, I want to hear about that. because So, so Cathay Dragon is a subsidiary of Cathay Pacific, right? Holy and on, it's, yep. for, for me, the way I understand it, and you can say it differently, but the way I understand it, I've never flown them, is Cathay Dragon is marketed for the Chinese, and Cathay Pacific is for the rest of the world. I'm exaggerating this point, but... Pretty much, yeah. I, it's um, So Dragonair is what they used to be called, and my, yes. my flight still had Dragonair livery. But yes, Cathay Dragonair, Cathay Dragon is predominantly serves mainland China and is mm-hmm. and is marketed to that to that audience as well. And then Cathay Pacific flies internationally with with a few overlap, like Shanghai is a great example. Uh-huh. Um, and the A three thirty, the plane was eleven months old, maybe very new, very new. And the, you know, obviously they share lounges and everything like that. It's a shorter haul business class product, still very, very good. Very good. Big old screen. It's not live flat, but it's it's one of those shell seats. So you get a Yeah, you send me a picture. So it's it's actually a very for it's a very good product because it's okay, it's not fully live flat. It's more than premium economy. It would be something of course we never have in Europe, although I get there in a moment. So it's really amazing to have that kind of product for such a short flight. Yeah, it's I mean like I, I said to you when I got back, that if we had that type of thing for such a short flight in Europe, it would be a game changer. And they really are extra. I mean, like you can, you could easily sleep in it. The food was exquisite. The service was as good as Cathay's. Uh, they're they're really kind of merging the experiences together, so it's almost seamless. So impressive. You know, uh, we we said in a few episodes ago that Cathay was. Uh, Revisiting and upgrading its its brand, its branding. Yeah. What is actually almost interesting is that now the red is basically for Cathay Dragon, right? <laughs> and and the uh, fuchsia, whatever the color is, kind of greenish blue, is for Cathay. That's so it, now, yeah. we, and, but the livery is very similar. You can feel it's a almost the same brand, but not exactly the same brand. So it's very clever, actually. It, it is clever, and I think it's it, it works really well to kind of move them towards each other. I, I'm really glad they didn't ditch the dragon on the Dragonair altogether. It was such a cool-looking logo on the tail. They've moved it to just behind the flight deck. But yeah, I was 
I was super impressed. The business cabin is two, two, two. The service, like I keep saying, I, I just can't, I can't get over. It. I still rave, rave to people. Is is the crew? Uh, do they speak English? I, I know yes. it's a silly question, it's, it's, but that's the thing. So that it's cafes, made for the international. It's, yeah, it's made international. for the international. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And I don't know if they, I don't know if they, they um, cross pollinate, as it were, across the two carriers. I would doubt it, but I think we had maybe six or seven different nationalities, all spoke exemplary, exemplary English. And so, yeah. would you say? Would you say because for uh, before, before now, this rapprochement between these two, these two airlines, before it was really at the low cost versus the traditional. Now, is it? It's not really the case anymore. No, I mean, it's there's not. still lower cost compared to Cathay, but they're not low cost. No, they're not. Right? I think uh, I, in terms of pricing, there's very little difference now. And I think Cathay is on the higher end. They're, they're sort yeah. of more the legacy carrier route. There's a lot of competition on that route, obviously, but but I, I mean, I don't know why you would fly anybody else on that route. They were so good. And then a final leg, I had like five hour layover because there's such bad ATC problems out of Shanghai that we could have been mm-hmm. Hours and hours, we weren't, we were right on time. But um, I flew Cathay's premium economy back, uh, which was a night flight, and I slept for seven hours. That's how comfortable, phenomenal. Oh, it's easily the best. That's why I think I was so angry at the Singapore Airlines premium economy seat when I did that a few few months ago, because it was nothing compared to the Cathay one. It It was so comfortable. We said many times, there's no standard in premium economy. You don't really know what you're having. I mean... Maybe over time there'll be some kind of standard, but I mean, it, I mean, besides Norwegian, which I don't know if you can call this premium economy, I've never flown premium economy myself, so I have a very hard time to. But I, I see the differences, and you've been telling me about the differences. It's really hard. You guys, if you are flying premium economy, do your research first yeah. about the seat pitch, what exactly kind of service you'll have. Is it worth actually paying a little bit more, or just simply go for a coach? It's a, it's it's hard to say. I mean, yeah. it's always a good deal financially, but you're not you're never sure about exactly what you're going to get at the end of the uh, other day. Yeah, so. I, I was. I mean, Cathay Economy is very good, but even the last time I flew on their on their premium economy product, I was impressed. But to be able to sleep for seven of an eleven and a half hour flight That's great. Yeah. is crazy, and yeah, impressive product. So I loved my Cathay experience. I really did. It's funny that you just mentioned Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines has just uh, released a warning so their profits saying that they're being squeezed, basically, that they're having a hard time. We said a few times already in this yeah. show that Singapore Airlines is kind of now looking at they're not sure about what they want to be. Uh, they want to be like a full, you know, traditional carrier with very high margins. So trying to keep that at the same time, they have they've invested in Scoot, the low cost. So they they they're having. Uh, I think now they're they're reaching what maybe Cathay has been reached already, and now they've passed through that point. They're not sure where they're going exactly. I'm exaggerating again. The point they don't know really how to adapt to the new reality of the market, especially with China rising. Yeah, it's they're getting pinched in all directions, aren't they? And I think Cathay have managed this a little bit more strategically over a much, much longer period of time. I don't think that they really weathered the, the ME3 pressure very well uh, either. No, no, no. no I, I mean, this, this is what they basically are saying. Singapore is saying that the ME3 are squeezing them a lot. Yeah. And if you, look, if you look at the routing from the ME3, you could see that Singapore or Shanghai being a very open airport to anyone is actually being like almost overserved by these guys. So they must, yeah. they must feel the pain. And also you've had, like you said, you've had this incredible growth of low cost carriers from Australia all the way up through Japan that mm. have put so much pressure on there that the feeder network that they have relied on for decades. I, only, I want nothing but good things for Singapore Airlines. They're a no, me neither. And, and, and let's not forget, like since you mentioned Australia, they, they, they lost Qantas. Qantas was routing through uh, Singapore for a very long time to go to Europe before switching to Dubai when they uh, did this uh, joint venture with Emirates. So yeah, they lost probably something there, uh, yeah. probably. But again, I, I wish them good because they are the great. Actually, although it's a product that was announced almost three years ago, they are now upgrading a little bit their business product and economy product in their triple sevens. So it's an upgraded version. You know, these massive seats they have, like very wide. It's a bit uh, an upgraded, more modern version of it. Uh, so if you ever fly a triple seven with uh, SIA, you'll probably be able to test it. The other thing that Singapore did, uh, Singapore Airline uh, just did, they hired for the first time female pilots. Welcome to the 21st century, guys. Yeah, that really, that just happened. Yeah, just happened. Jeez Louise. <laughs> Uh, the other the other airline that is being squeezed with is, of course, Air France KLM, especially Air France and Air France. The poor guys are, are in the middle of uh, three weeks of strikes by pilots. It must be they already had a little bit of strikes during the Euro uh, Cup in Europe, and now they have major strikes. It's apparently a huge 
problem. You good luck, guys, if you're flying Air France. Uh, they just I wish can't them catch well a break, because I always, I recon, I always had a great experience with them. I know that a lot of French people, friends, they I hate Air France. I always had a good experience, but. Well, it seems that the growing pains uh, for the new this kind of new market with low cost is not going well for Air France. Not easy. One of the competitors uh, for the transatlantic route is, and we know it because they also fly from here in London, is called La Compagnie. This is this old business. Uh, I think what, what's the aircraft they're using? Seven sixty-seven. So, yeah, our friend Greg flew on this, didn't he? Greg Annandale yeah, flew. Yeah, I think so. From Paris. Or no, Luton. The, he flew them from Luton. Luton, Luton I think, yes. And so was very and now impressed. you can buy a yearly unlimited flights with them, so to the US and back, for 35,000 euros. I can't figure out if this is a good idea or not. Uh, they're only releasing 10 of them, uh, so it's only for 10 people, so it's not as if everybody can, first of all, not everybody can afford this, but I guess that if you really are commuting, because always there are commutes to the US and back, so to do New York and back, basically, it could make sense. I don't know. I will see if they actually sell them or not, or if they even say that they will sell them. But, this uh, sounds to me like a thinly veiled attempt to raise some capital quickly. Mm, I don't know. Because if, yeah. if you're getting $350,000 up front and you may make your money on it, then why not? But yeah, you'd have to fly a lot, as you say, for it to be worth it. And that, an interesting uh, postscript to this article is they say that the financial future of La Compagnie isn't necessarily that stable, so you should probably get some travel insurance <laughs> in case they do go out of business and you're not out of, uh, not out of pocket 35 grand. <laughs> And now, almost a sad note, although it's a very happy note, the story that has been taking over the first 25 episodes probably of this show, the ME3 versus the US4, game over. Game uh, now it's actually, over. It's clear, apparently. So the US uh, basically said, we're not going to take any action. So that's it. It's finished. <sighs> over. Thank God. Sense <laughs> has prevailed. And this was done, and I mean, it's it's a very sort of pragmatic response, isn't it? It's It's... Yeah. They took it seriously, they looked into it, and they just said, there's nothing here. Open, nothing. The benefit of open skies is is a good thing, and, and you don't get to own it, U.S. airlines. For those who are interested in that, we did a little debate about that in the previous episode, 043. Uh, of course, uh, the ME3 are the airlines everybody talks about. We just said about Asia. Of course, the same in, in the U.S., the same in Europe, and the Skytrax just released their world's awards you know every year you can vote and say we're the best airlines in the world i mean again these are awards they tend to overstate the very big carriers over the small ones but anyway uh, emirates number one uh, so emirates again <laughs> yeah is there anybody on this on this top 10 list that that surprises you or surprised that you're not not really i mean it's emirates qatar singapore cathay ana etihad turkish eva uh, it's the only one i haven't flown actually Qantas and lufthansa i think Qantas might not have flown it or maybe when i was a kid the only one that i would say and we have this debate is the inconsistency of turkish uh, who was also voted the best european airline again uh that's the one i would say again depending on which product you end up in uh it's great or it's not uh the rest i'm not really surprised are you? Uh, I'm not. Um, no. I, you know what I am surprised at? Not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Is that the best performing U.S. carrier was Virgin America. Yeah. But they were it only is. 25th. And in terms of the big U.S. airlines, Delta were 35th. <laughs> uh, American were, I just saw them, way down there. United were 68th. Oops. Yeah, I mean, come on. I believe, and that's perfectly justified as well. Uh, in terms of uh, world's best low-cost airlines, uh, Virgin America is number two. Air Asia is, is just edging them. And interestingly, number three is Norwegian. Uh, and Norwegian is also the world's best long-haul low-cost airline. Uh, uh, there's not that many, of course, because it's a very new kind of category. Number two is Jetstar. Number three, Air Asia X. Number four, Scoot. And number five, Wow Air. But I mean, it's cool for Norwegian. I mean, they're very That's happy good. about it. Yeah, I, I, I am happy for them. And it's also a great, I think, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think they were also voted, maybe was it Skytrax or somebody else, the best uh, premium 
a co seat or something or whatever because I think wow. it's a, I told you it's it's a great it's a great seat you know the one in the front which I used to go from uh, Newark to uh, Gatwick are really cool seats uh, in the same breath uh, the world's best airports by Skytrax as well nothing surprising no, here we, we, <laughs> Munich has been getting some flack are you, were you surprised to see Munich that high in the third no because honestly again I said that when you transfer from Terminal One to Terminal Two and and, and back this is not great but Per terminal, it's an amazing experience. And in Europe, I think in Europe, my favorite in Zurich, which is number seven on that list. So first, Shanghai again. Second, Incheon again. I mean, of course, these guys are just above it all. Uh, Hong Kong is number five. Tokyo, uh, Haneda is number four. Uh, Munich is number three. And then the only one that I don't know, I've never flown is Nagoya, Shubu Center Nagoya. I've never flown it through. I lived in Japan, so I need to to find out. I'm a bit surprised that London Heathrow is number eight because I don't always find it that great. But yeah, I mean, you know what? Do... It's probably probably it's because also we live here, so we see all we the little see all the flaws that, yeah. and everything. Although that's one thing I did do. I didn't mention in my my little trip recap was I took the little autonomous pods. Oh yeah, from the Thistle Hotel. So first of all. You guys, if you're in Heathrow and in Terminal 5, jump on one of these automated pods. They're like little four-person things that there's no driver, and they will take you from Terminal 5 to the Thistle Hotel, which is like you can see it from Terminal 5. It's two minutes on these pods. But the Thistle Hotel has got this huge outdoor bar which is right underneath the flight path. And you get a spectacular view whether the planes are landing or taking off on the northern runway. Um, but the pods were cool. I mean, because it, it, it's connected to a parking lot where I parked my car, jumped into this to this little pod with a couple of other people, and I was at the airport in two minutes. It was great. I mean, completely unnecessary, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's a fun <laughs> little thing. Uh, Kansai, so KIX is number nine. I love that airport. I used to fly a lot. It's in Osaka in Japan. And number 10, Hamad International, which I just flew. So Doha, we just covered it. And I think it's, uh, it deserves it because it's a great airport as well. American airports, Denver, uh, yeah, well, uh, Denver 28, San Francisco 37, Atlanta 43rd. I mean, again, you're seeing a, you're seeing a, a pattern here. <laughs> the one thing that surprised me is Shanghai Pudong. Mm-hmm. Not even in the top 100. So there might be, again, these lists are, are passenger choices, you know, so people vote. So there might be, again, this is where I'm saying uh, some are overstated and some are understated compared to their importance, probably. And Shanghai, we'll get to that at the end. I think it's a great airport. It might be it's slightly overcrowded, maybe. Uh, because as you see, for instance, Dubai is not there either. It's not a bad airport, yeah, but it's not there, probably because it's, it's overcrowded. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so Ethro, we said, is in this list. Uh, we said last time when we talked about Brexit that, you know, the third runway might not happen. Of course, now they're coming back to it and say, OK, we will make a decision in October, which is good news. Please do make a decision. Yeah. The one thing that I didn't mention last time, and I was remembered by our dear friend Shin, you know Shin, you met him yeah. in, in, in Tokyo, uh, is that Theresa May, our, the new prime minister of the UK, represents Maidenhead. Maidenhead is under the flight path of Heathrow. So I don't know if that's going to play out or not, but will she be in favor of a third runway Heathrow where she represents people that are affected by it? Mm, I, th- sure. yeah, I think that uh, the um, Gatwick folks are very happy with our new prime minister for that exact reason. I think we're going to get a third run or another runway is probably a better way of putting uh, it. Sure. And I think this has actually pushed it back towards Gatwick. I still say there needs to be new runways at both both I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think you know some of the, the the delays that we've had and experienced is testament to that. So we'll see so what Bor- happens. Fingers yeah. crossed. Boris Johnson didn't become prime minister, so he's planned to do an estuary airport. Yeah, we'll never actually water, uh, no fly. <laughs> oh, two uh, puns at the same time. That's podcast history right there. <laughs> uh, the of course the Ethro chief exec says that uh, now that we have Brexit is absolutely. If the utmost importance to create that third runway, of course, yeah. everybody is willing. They have actually, Ethro has released some more designs about their new plans because, you know, they're going to build, if they have a third runway, a new terminal, which BA badly needs. 
and really do. They're going to show how you know more green it is. So it's not, of course, up to the standards of what you see at the new Shangi or whatever. But I mean, it's still cool to see what could be at at Ethro. The other thing that will make you happy is that the expansion at Lucy, so uh, London City Airport, was approved, and you will see a bigger uh, city airport. Yes, you this must is, be happy. This is great news. This is one of the first things that the new mayor London City Con put into effect um, almost immediately, and it's it's fantastic. And you know, people people jumped on me on Twitter when I said I was happy about this. They're saying. You you know, this airport is great because it's small. And yes, that's mm. true, but that's not what this is about. This is because uh, the terminal is is starting to get crowded, especially, especially the airside area. So this is just an expansion of that and uh, uh, a taxiway so that the planes don't have to turn around on the end of the runway and, and, and basically block the runway for incoming airplanes. So it's not about making this airport gargantuan. It's just 18% more capacity. By, by 2030. By the way, Alex, I wanted to ask you, uh, let's go back. It's uh, Gatwick. They already have two runways. So couldn't not theoretically build just taxiways and just use, actually use a second runway that they have, but they currently use a taxiway as a runway? Yeah, I, I think the only problem is is the, the how close they are together. I mean, San Francisco yeah. obviously has the parallel arrivals and departures, but that's problematic. And I think if you ask anyone that has anything to do with San Francisco Airport, they would say, if we could do it again, we wouldn't do it like this. I don't think it needs as, as the same kind of geographic footprint that the, the Heathrow does. But yeah, I, I wonder if they've thought about that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they, they did, have. I'm no, sure probably. they have. <laughs> I so love still, Gatwick, you know that, but I think I want them to have another runway. Still in the UK, we said in the last episode that the FAA had released uh, regulation about drones, and you were all gloating about having, oh, I want to have a robot delivering pizza at my, at my place. <laughs> the, the good thing is that the UK seems to be even going further because Amazon will be testing drone delivery in the UK with UK approval. Uh, it doesn't mean that, guys, tomorrow you'll have your stuff being delivered by Amazon drones uh, uh, tomorrow, but... It's good news. It shows that the UK is looking at this as well. And so Europe will have its own future delivery systems. I, you know, I I kept wondering how this was going to work. And they have a video fronted by the guys, former guys from Top Gear, Jeremy Clarkson mm -hmm. and crew. Because yeah. I was like, so what does it do? Does it like land and then the little extension comes out and it rings your doorbell? No, it, <laughs> you know, it's very Simpsons and Futurama. -y, but no, what happens is. Sarah like, Connor? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, that's terrifying. Um, you get a little notification on your phone saying it's, it's about to arrive. Make sure your garden is clear and it lands in your garden. And, and, but it's like, so what happens if you don't have a garden? Yeah, and I think you also need, I'm not sure, but you also need to have like a mark on yeah, your garden. Yeah, you put down this this piece of paper with the Amazon A and it it creates a delivery zone like 10 feet by 10 feet. And then again, this system and then it would poops be out your for, box. yeah, I think this, this, this delivery system would be for uh, regions in the UK and it could be worldwide that are not very well covered by last mile delivery already, which is if you live in London, central London, like I do, you know, I have like 25 billion career deliveries that can get to here like in 30 minutes. I guess if you live further down, this is where you probably also have more food prints in your house and you might have a garden. Yeah, true, I don't know. true. Or you could actually do uh, a business with it. You know, you, Alex, have a garden. You can actually start like, delivering for your neighbors and you actually ask them to pay for that That's privilege. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I like that idea. I, I'm, you know, I, I think this is great. Um, my brother lived in London for a while and they were, do, they were at a point where they were getting their Amazon Prime deliveries within 45 minutes. Actually, it's happening to me. Yeah. It's pretty if you incredible. Ask, yeah, you can have same-day delivery, and sometimes it's like 30 minutes. It's, it's just, just staggering. My, yeah, my brother said that it was deadly because you would go, I'm kind of bored. Maybe I should get that new Xbox game, and then, bam, there it is, you know? <laughs> or I should get an Xbox. Bam, there it is, you know? <laughs> I should get a 747. No, 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 it's not here. <laughs> uh, the Airbus is also considering uh, testing, actually, uh, drones for doing... We already mentioned a similar kind yeah, of news with EasyJet. Yeah. yeah, to uh, circle, to do the... Uh, the visual, things. like the visual inspection... Inspection, yeah, with a drone. Uh, so to actually go fast and turn around, that would also, of course, for low cost, but for anyone, it would be actually a better. I'm not sure if pilots would be comfortable with that at the beginning, but probably would get there at some point. I think, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you talk, you read uh, Mark Mark's book, Skyfaring, and he talks about the visual inspection. I think there's something almost sort of meditative about it for, for pilots, just sort of there's a routine to the, the, that's external before the rest of it becomes internal, which I think there's quite something quite nice about that. So you're right. Mark, if you're uh, listening, thoughts? 
<laughs> yes, yes. Please come back on the show to let us know. Uh, BA, uh, this is really cool. You sent me that piece of news. BA, one of the was it wasn't a pilot? Did he invent an app or something? Yeah, he made really, it. I, mean, I love it. It's so cool. So it's yeah, it's an app called View from the Flight Deck, and they ha- the this app is loaded onto the pilot's iPads. They all have iPads for their electronic flight bags, and when when passengers come up to the cockpit before takeoff or after landing, they take a photo with this app and it puts the um, like all the facts uh, of their flight and the captain's name and the route and distance and all that, air, the aircraft type and registration onto the photo and then sends them the photo, which is it's lovely because we, you know, we've been lamenting about the fact that you can't go on the flight deck anymore. And this is just a nice way to get people involved a little bit more in that in that process. Actually, actually, so I'll go to, um, to my travels. So I did fly with BA. So I promised in the last episode that I said, BA, I will fly more with you. And I did. There's a reason why, actually, is because I was supposed to go, I was supposed, I wanted to go to Rome to actually see Iron Maiden. Uh, the, I went to their concert in Rome. And when I was looking for different flight routes, I was, of course, looking at BA because I didn't want to go into some layovers to get there. And, oh, and behold, I see that they're flying the 321 from BMI there. That legendary is, plane. Yeah, which is exactly what you said at the top of the show about having a LifeFly seat product in our internal route in Europe, which, guys, if you don't live in Europe, never happens, basically. Uh, so I saw that. So obviously I jumped on it. I booked my flight with uh, BA. Uh, so quickly to what you said, at the end of both flights, where we were waiting for the door to open, they allowed some kids to get into the flight deck and took pictures with their parents. Uh, I was like, me, what about me? I'm not a kid or what? I cannot not go inside. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if the app that you just mentioned was already in place, but that was really cool to, to actually witness. So sadly on the way, so I get to Heathrow uh, Terminal 5, which, you know, guys, I'm not a huge fan because overcrowded. It was overcrowded. It was a Saturday. Uh, and luckily enough, a friend of mine was there. She is gold on, on BA. She says, oh, do you want to come with me in the first class lounge? I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. I don't have any nice. status with them. So. So, and the good thing is that the flight was delayed by almost two hours. So I ended up staying in that, in that lounge for a long time. So that was, that was cool. The, the, just before that, yeah, because the story, I have to be precise. Just before that, I spent 10 minutes in one of the gallery lounge, one, the South Gallery lounge. It was a mess. It was, was it? like, you know, yeah, because it was, there were like, I think it was the beginning of a school holiday or something. I don't have kids, so I don't know. And they were like, it was overcrowded and there was especially food laying all around, you know, like it was not cleaned after people were leaving. Anyway, so I'm on the bus to that flight, which sadly, it was not a 321. It had been canceled and replaced by a normal 319. But anyway, that happens. And I'm on the bus and I'm getting an email from BA. Can you tell us if you were happy about your experience at Terminal 5? So, of course, you know, like, oh, I have five minutes. So I answer that little survey and say, and say in the comments that, you know, that South Gallery Terminal was really not disgusting. I don't, that's not a term I use, but it was not clean and it's not really no, that's happy. disappointing. And that I was happy to have a friend that let me in the first class lounge. The thing is not that. The thing is, I'm then sitting in the plane. I'm waiting. And after two minutes, my phone rings. And I don't recognize the number, so I pick up. And it was BA. A representative from BA just called me to apologize. No for the fact, way. Yeah. That they were sorry. And, you know, they, they told me, oh, we're sorry today. There was a lot of kids. We know there was chaos at Terminal 5. We're trying to be better. Uh, we, we want to apologize for the bad experience you had. We we're going to be better next time. I, when I was impressed, wow. the guy calls me not, not three minutes after I ended up the survey. And he says, and I said, I'm sorry, I don't fly you enough. So, you know, I cannot really compare this experience to bad experiences. Yeah, we know you're a very high frequent traveler. Like, how the hell do they know that? Do they listen to layovers or something? <laughs> but they were really, that I would say, I really appreciate that you know that makes a huge difference when someone and I told them you don't have to be sorry it's not your fault I know it's overcrowded you need a terminal six and that made him laugh <laughs> but honestly I love the fact that they that they that they called me so anyway to, to make the story short on the way back after my stay in Rome which was fantastic our uh, maiden didn't have the 747 they just stopped using it like five shows ago because I think it's the last uh, five or six show dates in Europe and they're using a bus so sadly no sight of the 747 in 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 Rome uh, so first of all Rome you remember I talked about Rome I think a year ago yeah it was a year ago May uh, 2015 it just had caught fire and it was a huge mess and what's not and 
what a difference a year makes. They've now upgraded the entire airport similarly to what I said about Gatwick last week. There's a lot of electronic gates for everything. I got from the curbside to the plane. It was less than 10 minutes. Everything That's is electronic. That's the way it should be. Yeah, and I was impressed. I was like, shit, this is a fantastic airport. We'll cover FCO one of these days. Uh, so I get in the plane, and of course, that was a 321. I upgraded myself in business class for that because, come on, I wanted yeah. it's silly to have a business class for two hours, but I absolutely wanted to try it. And yes, you're right. Having a lifelike seat in Europe, it's just amazing. So it's a, it's a strange configuration. It's 2-1-1-2-2-1-1-2. So I obviously chose a single a solo seat. So it's almost like a throne because you have massive oh, of okay. space on each side. Uh, I tried, of course, and I went fully life flight during the, the, the flight to see if someone like me, I'm 196 centimeters, 6'5", if I could fit, I could. So it's actually a good wow. product. Yeah. The only thing disappointing, uh, and I will, because I need to criticize me every, at every show, come on. <laughs> uh, they, they, they tell us, so first of all, it was really funny because you could see the eyes of the passengers not understanding what the heck that plane was. Even the guys in, you know, in economy, in coach, where they were walking by, they're like, why these seats, you know? And he, so to the point that the, on, on the PA, they addressed that. They said, we know it's a very strange aircraft. <laughs> and they explained what aircraft it was and why it was so different. Because it's usually uh, used on their mid-haul, right? It's yes, uh, Cairo, on... Tel Aviv, yeah. Moscow. So uh, I even overheard one of the, uh, the flight attendants saying, I don't like that aircraft. It's so bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> But so every seat has entertainment, not only in the front of the cabin where I was, but also in the back. And they go just before we take off and they say, because it's a short flight, we do not provide uh, headsets. For that reason, we're not going to launch the IFE. Also, because for health and safety reasons, it would be too dangerous for you to plug your own headsets into what? the IFE. Exactly. And it was like... What the hell is that excuse? I mean, you told me, and you were right, they probably maybe don't have the rights of the contents for intra-European flight. I did right? a little search on Flyer Talk, oh. and a lot of people were talking about this. That, And I didn't know this. This is interesting to me, that you have to acquire the IFE content rights on a per-route basis, not just blanket. And so that might have been one of the reasons. But, but as you said, why don't they just say that? Yes, that's the thing. That's exactly what I said in the last episode, in the previous to last episode. I think, you know, just be, and I told them that actually, I told them that on Twitter and they, they apologize again. So thank you, BA. I said, just be straightforward. Say, we don't have the rights, we're going to put it on, or we don't want to put it on, or say something, but not because if really it was ever a concern to put our own headsets into any IFE, I would have crushed a lot of planes because I always have my own headsets, by the way, guys. Yeah. So, so they didn't turn it on. So sadly, I couldn't test the IFE. But Was honestly, there anything on the screen at all? Just the logo of BA. No, not no even, moving map. No map. That was disappointing. Oh, not even silly. a map. I was trying to push all the buttons and nothing would actually happen. But anyway, fantastic flight shows that it's really a huge difference to have a life flight seat. Since I'm on a life flight seat, that quirky flight I did at the beginning of last month, just uh, after the recording of the last show, I went to uh, Geneva and I came back. I was supposed to go first to Zurich as well. So I was looking for flights to get there. It ended up that I didn't need to go to Zurich. That was postponed for next month. The thing is, when I was doing that, I suddenly saw, wow, there's a 777-300ER doing oh, Geneva-Zurich. With their so, new business class. Exactly. So they're testing. So when they acquire the new aircraft, at first, instead of putting directly to long-haul routes, they do very short-haul routes, Lugano and Zurich and Geneva, the three main cities in Basel, of course. And then they fly it like for Paris or London, and then only they get for long-haul. And, you know, if you were if you were trying to buy the ticket Geneva-Zurich, that you cannot find it. It's only because it was a layover or if you were, because I've seen that in the plane, or if you were uh, the first flight to connect to Zurich to go somewhere else, that this flight would appear on the booking system. So I was lucky. To, and I said, you know what? I don't need to go to Zurich, but I'm going to fly it, obviously. So on the way back, instead of going directly from Geneva to London back, I flew Geneva-Zurich-Zurich-London. So... How is that? Yeah, I upgrade myself, obviously. How is that? Wow. It's a great business product. I was again in solo seat. There's also this thing when you have, it's a one-two-one configuration. They had the IFE, but I didn't have, of course, it's like a 22 minutes flight. So you don't even have to Is it to really fly. that short? 
yeah, it's really super short. So by the time, you know, by the time you are allowed to basically, you know, the, the seatbelt sign is off, you have the time to receive a little bit. Uh, it was a nice sandwich because, come on, I was in business class. So they give us a nice sandwich and a cup of champagne or something. And I was testing all the buttons for all the seats configuration. I went to full lie flat and back and and, you know, I tested the IFE by pressing some buttons. But, of course, as soon as, you know, you do that, the they go, oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need to kind of <laughs> we kind of land. Honestly, it's a fantastic product. I hope maybe one day I'll be able to fly it uh, to for long haul. Interestingly enough, that flight the next day uh, was flying to Montreal. So I really was lucky to find it was, must have been one of the last testing day of that flight on such a short haul. So doing 22, uh, 22 minutes on a 777 in business class, Guys, it's amazing. Sadly, I asked, I said, can I get to first class? Because there's a first class. It was all staff. They still allowed me. So I, went, I was able to have a peek, you know, just to take a look. It looks really fantastic. Does it really? Yeah, yeah. Because it's private rooms and it's design is fantastic. It's a great business class. Is it the best business class? Probably not. Maybe I, I, it's hard. We'll have Johnny uh, one day uh, of the designer to discuss about what is the best product because we all have different opinions. But it's a great product. It was a nice flight. Thank you, Swiss. I really did that. And of course... The chocolate. So these two flights were great through LifeFly seats. What I can do, of course, I can talk about it with you and people listening. I can, of course, tweet about it, which I do. Some people do reports on, you know, all these Airliners forums. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. And now there's a new option. TripAdvisor has just launched Airlines Review. You can review your flight on TripAdvisor. Frankly, take a look at it. It just started. That could be a huge disruptor because we know that TripAdvisor is used by many, many, many people to leave reviews of hotels, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Having suddenly reviews by the general public and not only AV geeks directly on such a site that yields such good SEO is something that I think we'll hear more and more about. Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting development. I'm amazed it's taken them this long, but there, there really isn't a central place for people to kind of go and leave reviews of, I mean, Seat Guru, people talk about the, the seats specifically, but it's a good idea. It'll be interesting to see what, what people do. Yeah, you can find all the airlines by our alphabetical order and the number of stars. Take a look. I think we'll come more and more on it. And when we talk about airlines, it will be interesting to, to see what people actually think of such airlines, not only what we read about or our own experiences, but have different experiences. Uh, now, uh, ME370, that everlasting story, we never know where the plane is. First of all, it seems that all along, we've been looking in the wrong place because there's been uh, one, uh, a few actually scientists came forward and say, you know what, we should have been looking more north. It's not the first time that we hear such things, but it seems this time pretty much sure that the hundreds of millions of dollars were sadly, it was not misplaced, but sadly spent to look in a place where they were not. But more damning is the story that we had heard in the beginning, but it was really popped out. Uh, the story that apparently the pilot had some more nefarious reasons. Yeah, this has come back up. Because it was announced a couple of weeks ago that after this period of search, that it was essentially going to be put okay. on hold. Yeah. yeah, they, you know, which yeah, which is basically a nice way of saying we, we're we're going to stop looking because we don't think we're ever going to find this plane. But a few people have come out of the woodwork, and I don't know why they have timed it as such to suggest that this this chap Larry Vance, who was who wrote the report on the Swiss flight that went off down off the coast of Newfoundland uh, a couple of years, few several years ago, actually. 98. 98. Gosh, was it that long ago? Mm -hmm. um, he is now convinced that somebody was flying the airplane into the water. And his, the evidence that he, he cites is that the flaperons were extended at the time of impact. And that can only be done if it's activated. It's not something that can, can just sort of happen. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that they broke off would indicate that they were deployed and they they didn't sort of shatter into a million. The, the, the Swiss Air flight, there was two million pieces of debris. That's just not the case so far with this. So, you know, he's completely convinced that someone someone did this on purpose. Yeah, they say that they apparently had found, but this is something that we had at the very beginning of the investigation. We didn't know if it was true or just uh, speculation, but that the pilot had planned the route on its flight simulator at home, the yeah. Microsoft flight simulator well, and or whatever. Again, I'm still not sure like, why yeah. this is not new news. When I sent this to you, I, I said... We heard that. We, yeah. For surely we've heard this, but but I don't understand. Like it's it's This news has come back up. Maybe they're digging up new news or the first time they came around they didn't run it or whatever. But yeah, this this yeah. this new piece of news... Maybe it was news. simply dismissed as, oh, come on, it's just hearsay or it's... 
We don't know. We know that there's been a lot of also meddling with the investigation in Malaysia as well. So it's very hard to know. The thing is, like you say, the uh, basically they have a very small part of the planned research still to be done. They're almost closing it. So now what's next? Will they follow up and look for north, more northern territory, apparently, according to some scientists, and or looking at where that flight path, if the plane was crashed voluntarily into the water, would have would have been? I don't know. We, they already spend a lot of money. Yeah. I know that money doesn't always, you know, if, if, if I were a relative of the victim, and even if, as an outsider point of view, I want us to find that plane, because it's what we do as humans. We we close the chapter. We just say, oh, it's disappeared, and, you know, just move on. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I also understand that some of the governments are like, you know, we spent like mil- hundreds of millions of dollars looking for it, and we haven't found anything yet. Yeah. So, uh, the other damning report that was an exclusive from The Guardian, which is a newspaper in the UK, was into Fly Dubai. So Fly Dubai had a crash a few months ago. Jeez, and yeah, they released is... papers, so they had leaked documents, I guess, from a source internal of the company of a lot of lapses in judgment, a lot of uh, management hesitations and you know, flight planning, mishaps and other stuff. You know, pilots said they were overtired when they were flying, they were forced to fly more and I mean, I'll, I'll I'll let you, of course, talk, Alex, but guys, if you want to take a look, the full leaks are on The Guardian. Uh, it's it's a bit worrying when you read the same things like that. Yeah, it's it's pretty disturbing. And it's it, like you said, it runs the gamut from procedures being poor to, you know, pilots being forced to to really fly when they were exhausted to um, cargo not being loaded properly, which is very, very dangerous. You know, let's not delude ourselves into thinking that this is the only airline in the world that this has ever happened. I think that is why it's so frightening is because if this is endemic at a a well-funded, pretty well-respected airline, you know, what else is going on? This is maybe something that I'm sure is not only happening, and not only because I only already hear people will tell me, ah, oh, that's of course this is the Middle East, this is Africa. No, I'm sure that even in Europe and the US will see that. It's not. Don't be like an ass about it. I'm sure that sadly these type of shortcuts happen way more than we think. Also in our countries as well. Yeah. Um, I probably will, will be flying fly Dubai next month, and I'm not changing my plans because of that. Do not take it as oh, I need to avoid that airline at all costs. Like, for instance, now some people are telling me they are avoiding Turkish because of all the events that have happened in the past month. Not only the, you know, there was also like this coup, the coup d'etat. You were traveling yourself, but the airport closed for 40, 24 hours. It was a lot of, yeah, it was- I don't think, you know, don't overreact. You know, it stays safe to fly, I, I believe. Maybe I'm over optimistic, but I think it's uh, Turkish is still a good company. Fly Dubai is still a good company. Yeah. And uh, to finish on a high note, uh, this time it's the end, but congratulations to Solar Impulse. What a, what an incredible achievement. They, they, on the 25th of July, which just a few days ago, they landed in Abu Dhabi and they went all the way around the world with not a single drop of fuel. Amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and, you it's, know, uh, I, what, what bothers me about this is you hear people going on about, oh, well, yeah, but we're not exactly going to be flying airplanes with no fuel anytime soon. That's not the point. The point <sighs> is we did it. We yeah. did it. We actually did it. And now it's, it's you know, Tony Tyler, who is the outgoing director general and CEO of IATA, wrote a really nice piece yeah. on LinkedIn, which we'll LinkedIn. link to in the show notes and put out on Twitter. Read it because it really encapsulates the importance of this achievement. So uh, I don't know if you'll be ever able to fly um, a solar power plane to Shanghai. Uh, you were just in Shanghai. It was not your first time, right? No, no. I've been it? to Shanghai a lot and I, I like it. I, I mean, Shanghai's a city is incredible. It is. What a, yeah. what a place. It the, has changed as well tremendously. Oh my God. You... Well, but it's changed in the right places and it stayed exactly the same in the right yeah, places yeah, as Yeah, exactly. Well. It's true. Yeah, the, the, some of the old parts of Shanghai are still there exactly yeah. the same way the they were bun, 20 years the ago. French concession, yeah. The former French Absolutely. concession. Absolutely. They've done a good uh, job with it. And unlike Hong Kong, which I must say is not so good at that. But yeah, Shanghai itself is a great city. If you've never been, go. They've got the 144-hour visas now. So you can, as long as you have a ticket to a third country, uh, it's it's great. So if they have two airports, we're going to talk about uh, Pudong. Uh, What's your take on Pudong? Yeah, I like it. It's great. I think um, it's a pretty new airport. It was only opened in in 1999. And then the second Mm -hmm. terminal was opened in 08. Dragonair and Cathay and all of the other airlines that I use pretty much go in and out of uh, Terminal Two, which is which is nice. It's open. It's very modern, and uh, 
It's really, really long. It's actually pretty spectacular. I'll post some pictures on it. I think I posted a picture on Instagram already, but I'll post more. Um, but the, the coolest thing about this airport is how you get from the airport yeah. into downtown Shanghai. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They have a maglev Glad. train, which is capable of doing 431 kilometers an hour. So it will get you from the airport to uh, Longyang Station, which is pretty close to downtown Pretty central, Shanghai, yeah, it's pretty in, central. In, yeah. in just a few minutes. They've actually, they've reduced the speed. No way. Yeah, so it, I think uh, it oh, does about... because I have, I, I have pictures of the 431 kilometers per hour displayed, you know, on the LED screen inside. So yeah, I've, and I in old money, that that's 268 oh. miles an hour. They, do, they did definitely drop it down a bit. It takes about eight minutes, which is still pretty incredible. It's almost like being in a plane in a way because it goes so fast. <laughs> yeah, and that, so the average speed is like 250 kilometers an hour. And the top speed... You know, it will bump up against that that four hundred. But it's it's cheap, it's comfortable, it's easy. It's it's you know, there's obviously a lot of you can jump on the metro from Longyang Station and get into the rest of Shanghai. But you know, it's it's very very cool. Very how cool. is uh, how is Terminal Two? Very good. Yeah, I mean, uh, it you could be in in Hong Kong, you could be in any of those airports in Asia. It's kind of cookie cutter. Um, poor Gre- so Greg flew from Shanghai to Seoul and was on, Incheon, yeah. on China Southern? China Eastern. Southern. Both fly from Shanghai. I can't so remember. I actually, no, I think it was China Southern. Anyway, uh, it took a while for him to get through check-in and all that. I was, uh, like I said, on, on Dragon Air and it was a piece of cake. But we both ended up in the same terminal, which is light and airy, great view of the tarmac, no delays, although it is very susceptible to regional ATC delays, sort of two to six hours Yes, yes, yes. Um, that's also like a it. recollection. My, it's funny because I've, uh, although I've also been flying to Shanghai for a long time, I haven't flown them in two years, I think. But I've only flown to Terminal Once so and never to Terminal Two, so I have the opposite experience because I used to fly Sky Team, so KLM flies at Terminal One. Also, I use the uh, China Easter, which that's it, that's actually a hub for them. Terminal One as well. Terminal One is also pretty cool. It's the oldest of the two. But it's still, you know, it's still very new because we're talking 1999. Yeah. The, 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 the one thing, though, that I would say probably is that it's now reaching almost capacity. Uh, they need, they, they are building new satellites that will also ease up a little bit because it, it sometimes looks like it's, a, you know, it's not Dubai yet. It's not, uh, of course, not Istanbul, but it's, it's really packed. And it shows as well the, the growth of the, the Chinese market. Great memories. As you, I was about to say the exact same uh, advice. Go a bit early yeah. uh, because sometimes it takes really forever uh, to actually clear security and immigration. Although they, it's not due to you know the lack of training or whatever, it's just that there's a lot of people. Yeah. And so sometimes you know you, you'd better be a bit early. But guys, go to Shanghai. It's a it's a great place and try to, that maglev. Even though it doesn't go as fast as it used to, according to Alex, and I'm sad about it. But it's the best way ever to get in a city. Um, on that, Alex, where are you flying next? I am going on vacation to the south of France, and then I am going to California three times in four weeks. Oh, yeah, you told me about that. So, and I'll tell you how I solved my ticketing problem, because it was kind of fun to crack that problem on our next episode. Uh, for me, I think for the first time in six years, although it's not confirmed yet, I might not be flying for an entire month. I, don't, I just August. don't think it's going to happen. I just don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> you're you're going to message me tomorrow and go, I'm in Tahiti. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see. To be, to be frankly honest, I've almost, you know, in, in half a year, I did as many miles and more flights than I did in a full year last year. So I'm, I, I'm giving myself a month of, you know, quietness. I think that's probably a good strategy. Uh, on that, Alex, happy holidays and see you next time. All right, guys, take care. On behalf of Layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.